You're listening to The Murder in My Family, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including Missing Persons, DNA ID, Scene of the Crime, Zodiac Speaking, Beyond Bizarre True Crime, Citizen Detective, and Campus Killings. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its host, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. I'm your host, Mike Morford. In this episode, we'll be discussing the case of a family man who was gunned down at a gas station in front of witnesses. The shooter was initially questioned, but released. Soon, it became clear that there was a troubling background between the killer and victim, one that would eventually result in an arrest. We'll dive into this case after some quick housekeeping. Independent podcasts like this one depend on word of mouth to bring in new listeners. So if you find that you enjoy this show, please take a moment to rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to introduce a friend to the show and invite them to listen. With your help, the murder of my family can continue to grow and reach a new audience. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderofmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at murderofmyfam or on Facebook at facebook.com slash T-M-I-M-F podcast. If you'd like to support the murder of my family and get VIP access to things like ad-free listening, early preview episodes, and bonus content of not only this show, but for every other podcast on the Abject Network of Indie Podcast, consider subscribing to the show with an Abject Insider subscription through Apple Podcast. For only $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year, you'll unlock a variety of listener benefits, and you'll be supporting the show in the process. Your support is greatly appreciated. And thank you to all of the supporters that generously donate to help keep the show growing and improving. One last note. Please support any of the sponsors that you hear on The Murder of My Family, the way that those sponsors support the show. It's with our sponsor support that this show can go on and continue to provide a platform to share these stories with you in every episode. Thank you. And now on with the show. Kendrick Lamar Jerry was born in Lake City, Florida on August 6, 1975, to parents Alita and Cherry Lee Jerry. He had four siblings, including his sister Miranda, who is my guest in this episode. In 1994, Kendrick graduated from Killian High School in Miami, Florida. As an adult, Kendrick got into some trouble and legal problems ensued, but he worked hard to turn his life around. He instead began focusing on things he enjoyed, which included the outdoors and gardening, and he was an animal lover and had pet pit bulls. But most of all, Kendrick was a proud father. He had five sons. Kendrick met a woman named Erin Murphy, and the two soon began dating. They were expecting a child together, a daughter that Kendrick would never get to meet. Just after 1 p.m. on Sunday, June 25, 2023, shots rang out in the parking lot of the Chevron in Lake City, Florida. One person was struck by the gunfire. Wounded, he ran back into the gas station, begging the cashier to call 911. 
By the time deputies arrived, the victim, 47-year-old Kendrick Jerry, was in bad shape. He was lying on the floor just outside of the gas station. EMS arrived and tried to give him medical treatment, but it was too late. He had already taken his last breaths on the ground in that Chevron parking lot. It turned out this wasn't a random attack. Witnesses at the gas station said that it looked like there had been a dispute over some kind of money, possibly stolen money, and it was thought that Kendrick had stolen cash from 35-year-old Michael Andrew Smith, the shooter who followed him into the store. Not happy about being followed, Kendrick pulled out a knife to try and defend himself, but Smith, threatened by the knife, grabbed his gun and pulled the trigger. And the shooting occurred apparently while Smith was in his car, and Kendrick was standing outside of it. Though he was identified and stayed at the scene to talk to police, Smith wasn't arrested. He was questioned and then released. The police initially said no charges were filed due to Florida's standard ground laws. The lack of an arrest in the case angered Kendrick's family, and it seems there's a lot more to this story than meets the eye. This wasn't just a random altercation at a gas station that ended in death, or some kind of dispute over money being stolen. Kendrick's killer, Michael Smith, was the ex-boyfriend of Kendrick's fiance, Aaron. She had escaped from an abusive relationship of 10 years with Smith, and he apparently wasn't ready to let go of her, even though she had been dating Kendrick for two years and was pregnant with his child. Smith had been sending her angry texts and leaving threatening voicemails on her phone, some threatening her, some threatening Kendrick. Kendrick's family has one of these texts. It reads, It a hit on your boy head. Tell him to walk light. There's no mistaking the meaning of that message. It clearly seemed like a threat. If Kendrick pulled out a knife because the man who sent that text was following him and confronted him with the gun, then it seems like Kendrick feared for his safety. Despite this history of threats against Kendrick and Aaron, and what looks like a very clear motive, Smith initially walked free. It seems like the text about Kendrick needing to be careful due to a bounty on his head should have been all the police needed to prove this wasn't a standard ground case, but a threat of violence that was later carried out. Kendrick's sister Miranda wrote to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis asking for his help in bringing charges in the case, but the Sheriff's Office and the State Attorney's Office decided that a grand jury would meet and decide if charges should be filed. For 40 days, Kendrick's killer was free, but on August 4, 2023, a warrant was issued for the arrest of Michael Smith after a Columbia County grand jury returned an indictment. He was arrested and charged with one count of manslaughter while armed and one count of possession of an altered firearm. The gun he used to shoot Kendrick with had the serial number filed off. While this arrest was something Kendrick's family was anxiously awaiting, it seems there's still a lot more to this story and full justice for Kendrick may not have been achieved yet. The mention of money had always been confusing for Kendrick's family, who were told by Aaron about her ex-boyfriend Michael Smith that he was possessive and angry that she was with Kendrick. It seemed like a clear-cut case of a jealous ex-lover, but had somehow morphed into a dispute where Kendrick, the victim, had apparently stolen money. It didn't really add up to Kendrick's family. Kendrick's family did learn that Kendrick and Smith were involved in a financial dispute, but it wasn't a theft at a gas station. It was allegedly over legal paycheck protection program loan money. Kendrick's family doesn't have the whole story because they can't get all the text messages, correspondence, and information from Aaron, who may have even deleted some of the messages that they would have found helpful as evidence. And they aren't sure that Aaron is sharing the full truth. Michael Andrew Smith hasn't gone to trial for Kendrick's murder as of yet. This may be a good thing since prosecutors may not even have the full story as of now. Kendrick's family is hoping that someone out there will talk and reveal the missing piece of this puzzle. Was there a conspiracy to kill Kendrick? And if so, how many people were involved? 
and they also wonder if Kendrick's legal problems from his past, coupled with corruption in their small area, made the case very low on the priority list for local investigators. When someone desperately wants answers and doesn't get any, it's hard not to find more questions, and that's the case for Kendrick's family. Kendrick's family created a social media movement called Justice for the Victims of Gun Violence because they know their story is so similar to many around the country. It's not just a story of senseless loss, it's also a story of grief on hold and a fight for answers, justice, and some semblance of peace. Today, Kendrick's family is desperately hoping for the full truth to emerge and to get justice. I spoke with Kendrick's sister Miranda, who walks us through the case and discusses the family's efforts to see her brother's killer punished. That conversation is coming up in just a moment. Hi, Miranda. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast to discuss your brother Kendrick's case with us. Hi, thank you for allowing me on your show. Well, I'm happy to have you here. And I know this has been a, a very terrible ordeal for you and your family. What, what happened to your brother? And, you know, we're going to help share his story and, um, hopefully get to the bottom of what happened it's it's a little bit of a confusing case uh due to some of the details the backstory and and part of it has to do with florida's standard ground laws and and we'll sort of sort out exactly what happened and where things have led since your brother was killed in june uh last year but before we get into all of that and what happened can you tell us a little bit about your brother and and what he was like some maybe some of your memories of him um, my brother was fun, loving, caring. He was like the glue to our family. Um, in his younger years, he fell into a little bit of trouble. Um, um, maybe he had a little, he had some incarceration time, but he turned his life around, went to college, um, became a businessman and began working for himself. So he was becoming pretty successful. And he had a um a family of his own too, right? Yes, five boys and um one girl, first girl on the way. Okay. And you know, I, I read a little bit about him. I know he was into gardening and outdoors and pets and stuff. Yeah, he really seemed to have a lot of different interests and stuff to keep him busy. Yes. Gar gardening was his favorite and dogs was right next to that. He loved dogs. He has 15. He had 15 at the time oh. when he died. Yes. That's a, that's a commitment to take care of uh, 15 dogs for sure. Yes. Um, and, and between, you know, his gardening, his pets and, and his family, I'm, I'm sure he was quite busy. Right. So uh, I wanted to touch on a little bit about, you know, sort of what happened to him. And I, I'm thinking that it starts with the relationship he was in. He was engaged to a woman named Aaron. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So, and Aaron, how long was he with Aaron and, and uh, engaged with her? Approximately about one year, eight months. Okay. Now, it, was there a relationship good? Was there any signs of, of anything, you know, that came with the relationship? Any trouble from her past? That, that you were aware of or that your brother was aware of? Yes. Um, when he started dating Aaron, he wanted to keep it a secret from um, his other, um, the other mother of the other children. He wanted to keep it a secret. 
So um, I met Erin. He brought her for me to meet her. And when I met her, she began to, they both began to explain to me how she was in a very bad relationship prior to meeting him. And um, they allowed me to hear voicemails, threatening voicemails um, from her ex-lover, um, saying that he's wanting to kill both of them and um, things of that nature. And Aaron and Kendrick discussed getting a um, restraining order at that time back in 2021, it would have been. Did anything come from that? Did Were they able to get a restraining order or did that sort of pass by and, and quiet down and they weren't as worried about it later on? Well, I think Aaron had a restraining order that was in place that maybe expired during that time. So my brother and her were both going to go get one. They never got around to getting the restraining order. And how, knowing your brother and, and talking with him about this stuff, how worried was he? Was this something he just thought, you know, this guy is um, you know, just running his mouth because now he's with his ex, or did he take it seriously that this guy might be dangerous? He took it seriously from the beginning because the guy was um, using a drone over Aaron's house to monitor his car and would send it to other people and it would get back to my brother. So he knew that that was serious from the beginning. And he also um, decided to download an app on his phone to record all of the recordings that he would send to Aaron stating that he would kill Aaron and, and, you know, him and Aaron. That's, that's a very troubling pattern stalking and threats and everything. So it seems like there was definitely a background of, of stuff leading up to this that would have been a warning sign. Right. Right. Now, but my brother told me he would, he would keep those recordings for protection. Okay. So that if anything happened down the line, he'd have evidence to say, hey, this right. is what this guy's been doing. Okay. Right, um, right. Now, had he met this this guy's name is Michael Smith. Had your brother met him face to face or was this all done like over the phone and, and that kind of thing? Yes, this was all over the phone at first, all over the phone. Yes. Okay. So let's go back to June 25th, 2023, the day your brother was killed. Can you walk us through how he came to be at the Chevron gas station alongside Michael Smith and what happened, what unfolded that day? Well, as I told you previously, um, that Michael was stalking him and following him. Um, my brother pay, played lottery. So every Sunday around noon, he went to go play his lottery. Nothing out of the ordinary. This Sunday, he went there to buy lottery and, um, he was there talking to an associate and Smith pulled up and circled around the store. There's three, uh, two other gas stations on that same street, but he came to that store, circled around and he and my brother got into an altercation as Smith came into or going inside the store. So I, I get, I take it your brother recognized him, knew what he looked like and said, Oh, this is, this guy's here, what's going to happen and sort of had words with him. And that's how this all started. Um, yes, because prior to that, he was running to, you know, he had seen him before um, on the streets after, you know, after the phone calls, he had saw him previously before the gas station incident. 
um, as he had run him off the road before, that type of thing. He flagged him down, and my brother would stop. Why, I don't know, but he flagged him down um, before and pulled a gun on him. And um, we have text messages, you know, talking about that. So we knew that these, some of those things took place prior, before the, gas, the, the Chevron gas station incident. And so this is all, all troubling signs, you know, all the stalking, pulling a gun before, threatening, uh, just a, a very, a lot of warning signs that something bad might happen. Right. So when they're at the gas station, they're getting into words, was the argument getting heated? Um, yes, the argument got heated. Um, the argument got heated. Michael Smith, um, my brother carries a pocket knife. Every day he car carries a pocket knife, um, every day regular knife. Well, just so happened that day when he was at the gas station, supposedly his pants were, you know, a little big. And he, the the knife must have fallen out his, fallen out his pocket while he was arguing with Michael Smith. So Michael Smith said, oh, you have a knife. But my brother picked the knife up and just dropped it right in his pocket, which could be seen on video. He took the knife, picked it up, put it in his pocket. But Mike Smith, or Michael Smith already had his gun to the side of him, which could also be seen on video. So um, they proceeded to argue. A friend got in between them, told them it's not worth it to just go, both go their separate, separate ways. Um, Smith um, got into his vehicle and he was about to leave, but as he was about to leave, there was still some words ex exchanged as he was leaving. As he was leaving, Kendrick came up to his truck and arguing. Maybe you could see his hands up like this, hands both up like this, arguing with Michael Smith. And Michael Smith shot him in from inside of his truck. And really the truck was like in a rolling type of position when he shot him at that time. Um, my brother, on the video, you could see him basically slump over the guy's truck a little. And have you watched that video yourself? I have not watched it. My mom watched it, my dad watched it, and that is what I was told. That has to be very tough to, to watch that video to see what happened. Yes. So, and I, I take it, you know, I would think, okay, this is some evidence that's going to help the police to say um, what happened. Now, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, your brother didn't die immediately. He went into the store for help. Is that correct? That's correct. And they called 911 and, you know, EMTs came and stuff, but it was too late. Your brother died at the scene before they got there. Right. He bled out. Now, uh, Michael Smith, did he what? Did he leave or did he stay there the whole time? He drove. I was told that he drove around, but came back to check, maybe to check for Kendrick. I don't know why did he come back. He came back, and um, he stayed until the cops came. So the cops came, and the officer arrested him. He arrested him. 
But we have a community activist in our city, in that city. He showed to the scene and um, the police officer, this was told, but this was a statement given from an officer. He came to the scene, the community activist, had a few words with Michael Smith in the back of the police car, got on his personal cell phone, made a call and walked away. And then the officer said that he came back and he was ordered to release Smith. So Smith was released and walked around for 37, 38 days, not arrested, never went to a police station. No one never contacted our family, no detectives, anything. Wow. That's, uh, you know, so he goes from basically sitting in the police car after shooting someone dead to just, you know, calls made and all of a sudden he's walking free. That had to be devastating for your family to know that the person that did this, because it wasn't a mystery who did this. He, you know, you knew all along who did this, but to see that person just walk free all of a sudden, that had to be terrible for your family. It was. We were horrified. We were afraid. He was angry. You know, we would hear things from, you know, people, what people would say in the street that he's, he's over there waiting for you guys with a bulletproof vest on and type of craziness like that. Oh, wow. So and, and this had to be even more troubling considering that you had been aware of all the things that he had been threatening your brother with uh, all that time, too. Yes. So when you and your family found out about this news, I mean, how when you get news like that, it, it's shocking. But to find out this happened, how did you all deal with that that news that your brother had been killed? It was horrible. But immediately when I got the call that the person just said to me, he's gone. He killed him. And when he said he killed him, I knew immediately it was Michael Smith. I didn't ask a question to the person on the other line. I knew immediately it was Michael Smith because he made those threats. Yeah. Now, did you and your family immediately go to the police and say, hey, why did you let him go? We have all this evidence. We have, you know, there's a record here of him doing all this stuff and making threats. Um, this took place maybe a week and a half due to us mourning, making funeral arrangements. Um, and then also it was a holiday. The 4th of July was arriving. So after the 4th of July, we went down to the police station, about 10 of us, and we all made statements of what we know, um, what happened. Uh, people with text messages brought all of that stuff to the sheriff's department and to, the, to give to the detective. And um, from, there, from there, it was just a weight gain why Michael Smith was still free. So I kind of took matters in my own hand. I started writing letters, um, letters to the governor, letters to um, the attorney, to Ashley Moody, the attorney general here. I mean, I just really put my pen and paper to work to um, explain to them this situation, what had happened in that city. And did the all that effort that you did, did it, did it work out that it got somebody's attention and they decided to take a second look at it? Yes, they took a look at it and the grand jury decided to indict him. Um, I think on August 4th and Kendrick's birthday was on August 6th. So it was great. Well, um, so the timing of it 
actually wound up being good that that it sort of uh because it was his birthday right now did they ever tell you why they decided to let him go what the official reason for it was just of letting him walk away from that scene that day no one never told us anything um um i called the sheriff myself and he told me that um I don't mean to rain on your parade, but um, I don't know how the grand jury came up with charges against Michael Smith because I'm a stand your ground law guy myself. So I wasn't getting any support on that side. <laughs> well, now, and, and I think we should probably explain, especially for listeners that may not be familiar with it uh, here in Florida. Um, we have what's called a standard ground law, and that essentially this law reads as follows. It protects you from prosecution for homicide if you can prove that you believed you or another person was in imminent danger of bodily harm or death or that you used deadly force to prevent the commission of a felony. So I don't, you know, th this isn't where your brother barged into his house, threatened him. This is you know, he's in a car driving away and your brother's standing outside. Uh, it's not like your brother was threatening him in any way. So I don't even know how the standard ground law would come into play. Um, well, if, if, if this is what happens with stand your ground, ground law, you have to have, everybody has a duty to retreat, meaning the second that you are able to flee and get away for safety, you're supposed to do that. But um, up until that point, until Smith got into the truck, the officers are trying to explain to me and explain by law that my brother was the, uh, the aggressor because he had that knife. Now, um, I don't see him waving the knife around. They're just saying that it makes him the aggressor because the knife fell out his pocket. So um, that's how that's that's how that goes um with the stand your ground law so but what made it different is smith um didn't use his duty to retreat once he got inside his vehicle you were for safety you should have just drove off if you're afraid for your life so that's how the grand jury watched the watched the video and came up with a charge of manslaughter wow so you know the and, and you can almost debate manslaughter versus murder, that whole thing. But you know, no matter what, it, it seems like, uh, as you mentioned, your brother's not on video trying to stab this guy. He's not, you know, sticking the knife inside his vehicle, trying to stab him while he's driving away. So it, it just doesn't seem logical to me that he would shoot your brother who's standing outside and, and have any, defense that it was a standard ground law in the first place to me it just doesn't make sense right oh and may i add the gun that he shot him with had the serial numbers were scratched off yeah which is a whole nother issue i know that there was a, a that would be a, a felony it was a third degree felony felony and punishable by five years in prison and five thousand dollar fine but i i think recently a a quarter judge tried to up and that law. So I don't know if that was still in effect, but that was still, uh, at least until recently, a serious charge on its own. Um, do you know if, if 
he owned that gun legally? Did he have a legal uh, right to own that gun? Was he, uh, you know that? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, because in, in Florida, it's it's rather easily to, to get a gun. And um, some people will say that the gun laws are need to be addressed here in Florida. You know, but legally, if you are legally allowed to own one, you're not a threat to anyone. Um, you're not a risk to anyone. You can you know, pretty easily get a gun. But obviously, if, if there's a if you have a background felony, any of that kind of stuff, you're not supposed to have a gun. So I'd be curious to know if he has anything in his background that should have prevented him from having that gun in the first place. He doesn't have a he has a background, but he doesn't have a felony, which I don't understand. The guy got arrested 13 times. Well, if anything you could think well. of from battery grand auto theft uh anything he, 13 times but he was not convicted uh yeah that's uh, you know to be arrested that many times and i can get convicted is is you know i don't know how he was able to slip through the cracks that many times but i think you know even if it was car theft or anything like that had he been convicted i think that would have been enough to prevent him from from owning a gun legally yeah so you know, so eventually this turned into from he's walking free to he's charged with a, a manslaughter, um, which is, you know, not the same as murder. But did you feel like that was not enough or were you just happy that he was finally charged with something? We were happy that he was finally charged with something. But we know that it's not fair. He, he, this is something that was planned. I don't think he uh, just. I, I was just going to say, about... especially, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you, you go ahead. Well, I just, especially because you can document it, you can see the, his history of threats of him saying he's going to do all this stuff and then it happens. Right. The police have not even addressed that. Um, we had a meeting with the state attorneys uh, maybe last month. And I asked them, so what are you going to do about the threats? Okay, you want me to go along with your manslaughter, but what are you going to do about the threats? They're not acknowledging them. I had to fight to get the Kendrick's phone on the evidence list. They told me what happened at the gas station and those threatening text messages are separate. has nothing to do with, with each other. It just it kind of doesn't make sense to me. And again, I'm not an attorney, but it just seems that when you have a history of someone that says I'm going to harm you and making these threats and then they do it, it seems to me like that's more of a case for murder than it is manslaughter. Right. So this is where I am now, you know, trying to fight for that. For this, I feel it's premeditated murder. Yeah. And, you know, what, what's the process now? So how long until he goes to trial and what kind of sentence is he looking at? Well, I will say this, he got out on a $200,000 bond. Wow. So, yeah, so he's released. He's been released. He maybe stayed in jail for one month. So now he's released and been walking the streets since then. And you know when the trial will be? Uh, February, February 26th, I believe, or 27th. 
Okay. And do you know what kind of sentence he's looking at if he's found guilty? Um, they are, they are telling us he could be facing up to 30 years. Wow. Okay. 30, okay. 30 for the manslaughter and nine for the gun. Oh, so for the nine for the charge of, of filing the uh, serial number off? Yes. Yes. Okay. So yes, but you he, know, has a, he has this fancy lawyer and um, he didn't even, ha even have to show the court last month. So, wow. you know, so, yeah. you know, usually a, a defendant's got to be there in person, but he didn't even go there, you're saying? Right. You know, so now you're you're facing, you know, the you have to go to court and, and deal with this this whole heart, terrible part of this ordeal. Um, how tough do you think it's going to be to be at court and have to hear all these details again and, and that kind of stuff? Um, it's going to be difficult. I mean, I, the way I see it is it's a dirty job, but somebody has to do it. We, somebody has to be there to, to, to witness and listen to this stuff. We have to do it. You know, it was hurtful for my mom, hurtful for my dad, but we've been toughing it out. And, and a lot of people I think don't realize when you, you lose somebody like this, but then there's a legal process afterwards, you have to sort of relive all that stuff and it, it can dig up old wounds. Right. We're not grieving. It's taken us longer to grieve because of all of this happening and by the killer walking the streets is worse. Now, and I, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I got the sense and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I got the sense that you thought there was a little bit more to this story, a little bit more background to what happened. Is that correct? Yes. Um, according to the newspaper, um, we read the newspaper after Kendrick was killed. And in the report, it says that Michael Smith said that he shot Kendrick. They were arguing over money. And we were so confused because Aaron was with us, his fiance, my brother's fiance, from the time that he died. So Aaron is provided us lots of information. She's telling us this guy's wacko and he's obsessive and he didn't want to let her go and um, things of that nature. He was a uh, she was an abuse. She told me she was in an abusive relationship with him for 10 years. With Michael Smith for 10 years. So, I mean, this is what we know that he was killed because of us going lover. Well, Aaron, over time. I started noticing things and um, was just weird things. She gave me text messages and told me these are all that I have. But when Michael Smith came home from getting out um, of bond, when he came home on bond, he called DCF on her to say that she was a bad parent to, to their five-year-old son. That made her furious. So when she became furious, all of a sudden, she texted me that same day they had court. And she said, oh, I found some more text messages. And these were more serious than the ones that you originally gave me, myself, and the detectives. These were very important text messages. I felt like you withheld them. 
So she would, and then she also told us that she didn't have any of the voice recordings on her phone. And we found out later that that was not to be true by my brother's best friend. He said, well, the reason how we got the voice recordings are from her phone. But she didn't give the police her phone. She, she made sure she gave me all of the text messages to give to the cops. She did a um she did go in and give a sworn uh, statement, but um other than that everything what I'm telling you um was just slow and and cut off text messages that seemed weird, and then follow she was pregnant so I can understand if you're pregnant you're not you probably don't want to go to court you probably don't want to go to state attorneys uh, uh meetings. So I gave her the benefit of the doubt for that. But after the baby was born, she just seemed so distant and not active in anything we were doing for Kendrick. And then a family member came and told us, oh, two days after Kendrick was died, I saw her deleting a whole bunch of stuff out of her phone. So really suspicious things. So you feel that there's just more to this, the story on her part, maybe, uh, more to the backstory about how this all happened and why this happened. Correct. Correct. Okay. And ha she hasn't been charged in any connection to any of these crime crimes that she happened hasn't. regarding your brother. Okay. She hasn't been charged, but she's being investigated. Um, okay. she was a bank a bank manager. She was a bank manager, and um, that community activist I mentioned earlier, um. He is her client at the bank. And um, once my brother died, I became a detective. I started looking into stuff, reading stuff, um, checking public records. And this is where I found out that she was involved in some PPP loan um, type thing or scam or something of that nature. So this is when... It all came to me, you know, because when 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 Kendrick died, I'm not thinking clearly. I can't think clearly. I can't remember. But things start to come back, you know, with certain things with when th certain things are done or said, things come back. So I remember the conversation that I had with Kendrick. He told me when he met Aaron that she had received one of those checks in her mail in her mail. I don't know if her and Michael Smith had a business together or uh, separate or however, but she received a check for him in the mail and she held on to it, ta taunting him with it, would not give it to him after their breakup. So Kendrick told me that he told her, just give that guy his money. I don't want to hear his mouth. Just give it to him. So um, that's how we came to the conclusion that that's why Smith told at the time when he shot him, it was over money. Maybe she didn't give that money back and she refuses to talk to us or answer any questions or anything. So I, I take it the relationship between your family and her since this all has happened is, is not in a good place. Not right now. Nope. Okay. Uh so hopefully if there's more to be found out, you'll find out those answers and the police, if they're doing any investigating, will will get to the bottom of what's out there still to be found. Um, right. I, I, I know that Kendrick's death has affected your family greatly and losing him has been very tough on all of you. Um, how have you all been able to get through this together and 
you know, what do you hope the ultimate outcome here is? Um, therapy. I'm encouraging family members to attend therapy. Um, we try to spend a lot of time, have a lot of family gatherings together to remember Kendrick and just lots of laughter because Kendrick loved lots of laughter. So, and um, now we just plan, plan to just, this happening also has brought us closer together. We feel stronger. So we're just going to continue to battle this thing. Yeah. And, and how have his, obviously, you know, nobody wants to lose a, a parent, but especially if they're younger, it's, it's got to be tough. How have his kids uh, dealt with all of this and, you know, what are their ages or any of them younger where they don't really know what's going he on has, or they don't understand? Yeah. He has two teenagers that at the time were um, 18 and 21. And then he has um, the three little ones, um, eight, six, and four. So oh. I think the eight-year-old understands, but the other two ones are small. They don't understand. And of course the baby would never get to meet her father. Yeah. That's the, the bad thing. There's always a ripple effect in these cases where what happens affects everyone involved in some way, um, you know, right down to the, the youngest children too. Uh, and, you know, hopefully they're able to deal with this and, and, you know, get help and advice so they can, because younger children, even if they don't understand too, they, they have a way of sensing that something's not, not right and, so a big part of their life is missing. So hopefully they're able to, right. to get answers one day that they understand what happened. Um, well, I, I do, you know, hope that you do get the justice you deserve for your brother. And, and just one final question before we end this conversation, when people mm -hmm. think about your brother, um, what do you want them to remember him for? What do you want them to, to think about when they think of your brother? Uh, how his giving heart, he tried to help any and everybody. He was so giving. And it, it definitely seems like there's a big hole in your heart from, from him not being there. So, you know, again, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing his story. And, and again, I hope thank your family you. gets, gets justice. Yes. Thank you. Thank you once again for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. I'd like to thank Sonny Landon for writing and research assistance in this episode. We'll be back here soon with an all-new episode of The Murder of My Family, and I hope you'll join me for it. But before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody.